0: So this morning, like Justin said, we're going to be focused on the idea of that we, that you as the people of Christ are influential and how we're empowered to do that from the scriptures. So I'm going to do something a little different that I haven't really done before. Um, We're going to look at two separate passages of scripture and kind of look at them together, balance them out, look at one, look at the other one. Uh, We'll see um, John four. We'll see an example of influence with the woman at the well. And then we're going to see what Paul says about us as influencers in 1 Corinthians 1. Um, Ultimately, we're going to be looking at the example of the Savior, the evangelism of the sinner, and Paul's exhortation to the saints. And what we're going to see is that God chooses to use insufficient people to be the influential people for his glory through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes... Um, Those are the first few blanks and there's a lot of blanks today, but I'll say that again God chooses to use insufficient people to be the influential people in order to glorify him through the person of Jesus Christ So if you would please turn with me to John chapter 4 and we're going to pick up in in verse 7 But as you're turning there, I'll just give kind of a little bit of a backstory in John chapter 3 we see, we see the story of Nicodemus in, in the first part of John 3. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again and what that means. And then the end of John chapter 3 is actually the last message that I preach. So if you uh, listened or remember at all, um, it's, it's a discussion between or a debate really between a Jew and John's disciples about Jesus baptizing. And we see um, John just put the person of Christ on display as the ultimate Savior Um, And the ultimate person we look to for our sufficiency, safety, and satisfaction. And then we get to chapter 4 where Jesus is leaving there. He's going from Judea to Galilee. And on the way, he has to pass through uh, the city of Samaria or the the, the country of Samaria, Samaria. And then in Samaria, there's a city called Sychar. And that's where Jesus goes. So it'd be like to put it in our context, if you're going from Georgia to Mississippi... You pass through Alabama, you go down I-20 and you get off in Anniston. That's like Anniston is, is Jesus's sidecar in this situation. So um, he, he gets to sidecar. He's very uh, weary. He's tired, which I think is a great, a beautiful display of the humanness of Jesus. Not just the goddess, but the humanness of him on display. He's weary. So he goes and sits at the well and his disciples go to get food. And then that's where we pick up in verse seven. So if you would, please stand with me as we read God's word. And this is just to signify that we value what this word says much more than anything else that I'll say throughout the rest of this morning. So starting in verse seven, reading through verse 29, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? So we pause for a minute here. That's a In our context, a lot of us, when she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? She's asking that rhetorically to say, no, you're not. But we know the true answer is, yes, he is. He is the ultimate um, savior. He's the ultimate person, the God man. Continuing in verse 12, it says, he gave us the well, talking about Jacob, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Then Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So the woman really still isn't getting it. And Jesus says in verse 16, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Father, Lord, we come to you now. We need you to give us clarity. God illuminate the word to us this morning. I'm inadequate. God, I don't want to preach with words of eloquent wisdom and empty the gospel of its power. So, God, I pray that you would be our teacher now. And as we look at the scriptures and examine the scriptures, God, we would see your call for us to be influential, empowered by the spirit of God. We love you. Be our teacher now in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So in this passage, we see the influence of two different people on display, one of those being Jesus and the other being the woman at the well. And uh, in Jesus, we see five attributes of him on display. And then we see a much more relatable example of the woman's influence to the people of her town. But the first thing we see is is the example of the Savior that's laid out for us. So. Um, The five influential attributes of Christ that we see go like this. Number one, Jesus meets us where we are. He meets us where we are. Verse 7 through 9, a woman of Samaria came to draw water from her well. She's a woman of Samaria. She's going to draw water from the well she always goes to. And Jesus is there waiting on her. And to go even deeper, at the end of verse 9... It says Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And and what what we find out is that Jews are really on the high end of society in this time. Samaritans are on the low end. And it's actually frowned upon for Jews to have relationships with Samaritans this time because of this very reason. To to give an example, and a few of the guys were making fun of me last night for using this example because it's a little extreme. Uh, But to give an example, to kind of put it in our context, imagine Donald Trump. Our, the president of the United States going to the Middle East to just hang out with the leader of the Al Qaeda. If he if he came back, he would be out of a job. Um, he wouldn't be our president anymore because he, like he he went and associated with someone that we don't associate with. They're our enemies. They're below us. We see as, as Americans, and in the same way. Maybe not on that extreme of a scale, or really more extreme, because Jesus is the the, the the God, Jesus is God, and he comes to this lowly adulterous of a woman in Samaria, and he meets her right where she 's at. This is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. A pastor I listened to uh, once told a story he said he was in he was in the Middle East, he was somewhere overseas. And he's sitting around in a circle with a bunch of religious leaders from all types of different religions. And they're all talking like, you know, our religions aren't that different. It's just God's on top of this mountain and we're climbing the mountain. We're just going at it from different angles. And then this pastor says, let me tell you what the difference is. He said, my God knows that we cannot climb this mountain. We in no way can come close to him. So what he did is he came down the mountain to us in the form of Jesus Christ, met us where we are, saves us from the sin that separates us from him and brings us back into unity with himself. That's the difference. And I think the story of the woman at the well is a beautiful picture of the Christ meeting us exactly where we are. And on top of that, It would be a disservice to the gospel if we didn't meet people where they were with it. It's not our job to say, hey, come to church so you can hear it. It's our job to say, hey, let the church go to them so that we can proclaim it. Second attribute of Christ that we see on display here is that Jesus gives us living water. Verses um, 10 through 12, this this conversation begins. And Jesus, Jesus says to her very bluntly, he says, if you knew... Who is asking for, for water, you would say, give me water and he would give you the living water. And it's really funny because the woman's response to Jesus is, where is your bucket? Like, I want that. Where's, where's your bucket at? And, and once she's saying, how are you going to get this water? And that's where she misses the point. Jesus doesn't need anything else to give us the living water. Jesus is the living water. Jesus didn't mean he was going to like spit in her bucket and fill it up. Jesus has an endless supply of the living water. He can give it to anyone he wants because he is the living water. And it's Jesus plus nothing else is the gospel of Christ that saves. There's no add on. There's no bucket that we need to pick up and carry in order to follow Christ. Number three. The third attribute of Christ we see is that Jesus satisfies us for all eternity. We see this in verses 13 and 14. Um, I don't know about, about any of you, but I really enjoyed chewing gum. And actually last night we were at Lost Mex and um, I asked somebody if they would buy me a pack of gum. And they, they have like, like double men and spearmint and all this stuff and they have juicy fruit. And uh, I don't know if you know, if ever tasted Juicy Fruit or Double Bubble, but when you put it in your mouth and it, and it gushes all this flavor out, it's delicious. Like, it's amazing. My mouth is, is salivating just thinking about it. But then 20 <laughs> seconds later, it's like, hey man, can I have another piece? Because, because the, the, the flavor didn't last. I remember when I was uh, playing Little League Baseball, they had regular Double Bubble, grape, and green apple. And uh, I loved to just get handfuls and to shove it in my mouth. I, I, I would get these huge cravings for it and I would end up with a mouth full of gum having to go spit it out in the trash can. Um, and, and I was left with the same craving that I started with. Why? Because the gum didn't satisfy. The satisfaction didn't last. In the same way, when any of us, me or you, try to pursue things that we think will satisfy our cravings and desires, whatever it may be, we are wasting our time. The only thing that can ever genuinely satisfy our souls forever is Christ. Nothing and no one else can do what he can do. And if we drink the water of Christ, he says we will never be thirsty again. He's the only one who can satisfy. Number four, the fourth attribute of Christ Jesus reveals to us our wickedness. This is a crucial truth that we see in this passage, but I think it's probably the hardest one to deal with. One of the first steps in knowing Christ is knowing that we need Christ because we're broken and insufficient. However, when we have this truth revealed to us, it can spark a deep rooted pride that says, that's not true, I'm a good person. Or, no, I can do it, I just need to be more motivated. But that is so foolish. And I think the root of that is it's not that we don't see how bad we are, we just don't see how good God is. See, me, compared to that murderer that's in prison right now, I'm a good person. I don't steal, I don't rob, I don't kill. But compared to the God of the universe, the creator of all, the perfect holy being of God, I'm worthless and wretched. And if it wasn't for his common grace to all people, we make people like Adolf Hitler and Osama bin Laden look like choir boys. Jesus shows us our wickedness and that wickedness should create in us a longing for a savior, a longing for a messiah. Which leads to the fifth attribute of Jesus, and it's that Jesus is the Messiah. Really, this is a truth that summarizes all of Scripture and summarizes what all of our lives should be centered around. And it's that Jesus is the Messiah. But And here, here's the truth on top of that. Jesus isn't a Messiah. Jesus is the only Messiah. You see, God is, God is holy. God is perfect. And we, like I was talking to these girls this weekend, are separated by him in a chasm farther than we can cross. Completely separated with no way back to him. And the only way to be unified with God is through perfection. And Jesus Christ was perfect. Jesus Christ was holy. The God man lived a perfect life. And then he died on the cross. Rose from the dead, defeated death, defeated sin. And he says, if you believe in me, your identity will be with my perfection and not your brokenness. Amen. Our identity must be in the Messiah that is Christ. No one else is perfect. No one else is even good. It's only Christ. John fourteen six. Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only Christ. He's the only Messiah. And once Jesus reveals all this to this woman, if I'm being honest, I really envy the way that she responds. Because if I can just be transparent with you this morning, um, I don't always respond this way. And I should. And really, I want you to tune in here. I want to challenge you because this is where the practical application of the truths of Jesus come into our lives. So we just saw the example of the Savior. But now we're going to see how that affected this woman and look at the evangelism of the sinner. The first woman, way the woman responds to Jesus, number one, is that she leaves her water jar. So she meets Jesus and asks where his bucket is. And she leaves Jesus, leaving her bucket behind. The very reason that this woman goes to the well, she leaves it behind because she's seen the goodness of Christ. And and church, when you genuinely meet Jesus, he becomes the sole priority in your life. Imagine there's a lot of beautiful families in, in this church. Imagine you, you go over to one of these beautiful families' house. And I don't think, to my knowledge, this is how they're, they're, any of their houses operate. But th- this man has a wife and they have a beautiful marriage and then beautiful kids. And you go over to their house to eat dinner. And you walk inside and every picture on the wall or on the table, everything around is of the wife and all of her ex, ex-boyfriends or ex, you know, whatever. All of her exes. That would be really, really weird, wouldn't it? Because she is in a covenant commitment to this man. But you come to find out that she's still looking to her past and saying, I want that. I miss that. She says she loves this man, but really she's envious of her past life with others. In the same way, when we come into relationship with Christ, we so often claim to be loving him But in all reality, we're looking back at things of our past saying, if only I could have that. Like Christ is good and all, but if only I could have the thing that I said I would give up for him. And if that's you, I would challenge you and say, you probably don't see Christ as who he really is. You don't know the same Jesus that I know. That's so foolish, but every one of us do it all the time. Christ is of all importance. And everything else becomes irrelevant when you meet him. We must leave behind the water jar. Second thing this woman does after she leaves the water jar and goes, she goes and she tells about Christ. And when she tells about Christ, she does it in a very specific way that I think we can all look to and take with us. The woman's proclamation here is threefold. Threefold. First thing she does when she tells about Christ is she points to the person of Christ. She points to the person of Christ. She says in verse 29, she says, come see a man. Like I I left this thing. I'm going, come look at this man. I'm I'm not saying come to me. Come look at this man. Come see this man. She points to his person. Number two, she shows her own sinfulness. She shows her sinfulness. She says, come see a man. Like, come look at this man who told me all that I ever did. He knew I was an adulteress. He knew I was a sinner. He told me those things. Come look at him. She points to this person of Christ. She shows her sinfulness to everyone else. And she magnifies the Messiah. You see, we should be using our brokenness to make much of our Savior. And in reality, the story of our brokenness paired with the truth of God's grace is a perfect display of the love of God in the gospel. When I go out and people see my brokenness and my wretchedness and my wickedness and they say, Jesus loves him. I say, yes, I was talking to a student this weekend just about how he goes to school and, uh, all of his friends try to remind him of his past. And I encouraged them: like you look at that past and embrace it, not as who you are, but as who you were. And even in that broken, wicked person you were, you say, God loved me anyways. And let me tell you about Christ and how what he did to prove it. And that can only be done if we're showing our sinfulness. The third thing. She points to the person, she shows her sinfulness, then she magnifies the Messiah. She says, come see this man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And earlier in the chapter, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And then she goes at a few verses later and says, can this be him? We are called to proclaim the ultimate truth of Christ To the whole world, but specifically right now where you are to the people out in our community. And it's that he is the Messiah and he came to die and rise so that we could be brought back into relationship with God. This truth is the essence of being influential, telling the good news of Christ to the world of around us. And that good news is that bad people can be made right with a good God through Jesus Christ. We're called to go and proclaim that news. But let me remind you, though, this woman did these things because of the amazing attributes of Christ that were on display. You see, she didn't go and say, I'm going to do this so that, so that I can say I'll I, I help walk someone to faith or, or anything like that. She said, I'm going to go do this because of how good he is. And I have to proclaim his goodness It's it's swelled up so much inside of me. I can't hold it in. I got to go proclaim the goodness of God. She tasted and saw that the Lord was good. So she went proclaiming that the Lord is good. And we're called, each of us, to do the same. There is a piece of the story, though, that we tend to overlook. And uh, it really, really matters. In verse 27... The scriptures say that the disciples marveled at the fact that Jesus was talking to a woman. You see, at this time, women were lowly, but also, like I talked about earlier, Jews were above Samaritans. And these two things paired together, his disciples marvel at the fact that he's talking like, Jesus, we've seen what you do, we've seen who you are. But yet, you're still talking to this woman. This woman was frowned upon. She was in the lower class, she was beneath the Jews, she was an adulteress. But what if I told you all of those things are the very reason that Jesus pursued her? Church, I don't know if you know this or not, but we are the woman at the well. We are the person, we are people who are lowly. We are people that don't amount to anything, that aren't worth pursuing, but God pursued us. We're the person that is insufficient. But that God has called to be influential for the sake of his kingdom. And if I'm being honest, that's a very high and that's a very scary calling. But in light of this calling, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul gives an encouragement. Um, or the, he gives an exhortation to the saint. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter tw- 1, verse 26-31, to I would encourage you to flip there with me. And I'm going to be honest with you. At first, when we read this, you're going to think, Tucker, I don't know what, what you're tripping, because this is not encouraging. But just hold on, we'll get to it. So starting in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. In the Lord, Paul writes to the church at Corinth here and says, "Listen to me. You are foolish. You are weak. You are low, and you are despised." He says, basically, you're terrible. And generally speaking, like I said a minute ago, this is really bad news. Like we don't want to be told that we're not good. If Justin came and said those things to me, I might start crying. But the truth of the next few verses is what makes this some of the best news that we could ever hear. And see, it doesn't depend on us. And while we may be those those things, Christ came to us and is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification and he's our redemption. So we're foolish, weak, low and despised. Christ is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. While I may be foolish, Christ makes me wise. While I may be weak, Christ in his righteousness makes me strong. While I'm low, Christ sanctifies me and lifts him up and makes me more like him. And while we are despised, Christ makes us adored through the redemptive, blood-bought promise of salvation. We're foolish, we're weak, we're low. And we're despised. That sounds bad, but that that puts us in a position where we can't take credit for anything God does in any of us. I'm so thankful to be able to to lead the students. um, And I'm thankful that uh, parents trust a six foot three, 10 year old. To um to to lead their students. But the reality of it is what God does in the students at D now or on Wednesday night or or wherever it may be, that's not something that I can take credit for because I'm foolish and I'm weak and I'm low and I'm despised. But thanks be to God that Christ is wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And he's all of that for me. He's all of that for you. God chose you to be influential because of your weaknesses. In order to make much of Christ's strengths. Imagine if I went outside and I took a dead stick. I'm terrible at drawings. This would never happen. But imagine I take a dead stick and I just make an amazing portrait in the dirt of like I make I make a portrait of Justin. Right. And it's a perfect portrait that makes much of makes much of his 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 his. uh, Beauties and makes little of his flaws and imperfections. I couldn't think of a word like his, his good attributes. I don't know, but if I, I I do that, um, I and everybody goes to the side of them, they're like, wow, that stick is awesome. Like you got a good stick, Tucker. They're gonna they're gonna look at that and say say, wow, Tucker, you really have a talent. You, you, you're able to use a stick that is nothing and make something that is beautiful. In the same way, God uses us insufficient people to be the influential people for his glory. And he does it through Jesus Christ. Amen. And this truth, that truth there should create in us a heart that is fully dependent on the spirit To do the work of God through us. So this truth should create a heart that is fully dependent on the spirit inside of us to do the work of God through us. We are insufficient. Me and you are both insufficient. But Christ is all sufficient. And when we rest in the power of his spirit, we will we will be influential. Because of how strong he is. And how good he is. And if you're not being influential, you're not resting in the power of Jesus Christ. That is inside of every single one of the believers in the room. So when we go today, don't go with a burden to say, I'm going to share the gospel this week. I don't know how I'm going to do it. What am I going to say? I'm gonna go and say, I get to share the gospel this week. And I can use the power of Christ in me to do so. First Corinthians 1 17, Paul actually writes um, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Listen to this, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So the, the Bible actually says when we try to make it sound persuasive or try to say things that sound really cool, we're emptying the cross of its power because we're no longer operating in the strength of Christ. We're operating in the strength of us which is weakness. We're insufficient. Christ is all sufficient. So as we go today, I want to give you three action steps for you to take with you. Number one, put down the water jar. Put it down. I was talking to the students this morning and uh, just encouraging them. When you the, These next couple of days, Satan's going to hit you with everything he has. Because he knows what you can do when you're resting in the power of Christ. And he's going to tempt you to pick, back, pick that jar up. He's going to tempt you to look at it and say, I need this and pick it up. And you're just standing there drawing water when you should be going with the gospel. For some people in the room, you're still holding on to it. Like you're still clinging to the things... That are keeping you from going for Christ as a believer. And I'm telling you, put it down and leave it. Not as a command from me, but as a command from Scripture. We got to forsake everything, take up our cross and follow him. And maybe you're in the room today and like the woman when she first met Jesus, you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You've never seen his goodness on display and maybe you've never thought of doing anything other than holding this water jar and you've never embraced christ as the messiah and i pray today would be the day that you taste and see his goodness put down the jar and follow him Amen. so we put down the jar the second thing once we do once we've put down the jar Is we cling to Christ. We cling to Christ as our sufficient Savior. When we let this go, if we don't hold on to something, we're going to pick up something else. We're going to pick up a different water jar. We have to let this down, cling to Christ. And here's the truth. We should feel insufficient because we are insufficient. When we put this down, we're not called to go carrying this big old burden of a weight and just throw it at people. That's the gospel. We're called to rest in the strength of Christ, cling to Christ and let him take us there. God wants your weaknesses to cause you to be dependent on him and our dependence on him looks like clinging to Christ. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus takes our story of shame and turns it into his story of grace. But that doesn't happen if we're so overwhelmed with focusing on us, it only happens if we focus and cling to Jesus Christ. Amen. And lastly, be influential. When we put down the water jar and we cling to Christ, all that's left is complete submission to him and influence for him. Be influential with the gospel. Listen to me for the glory of God, for the joy of his people and for the salvation of the lost. Cling to his gospel, be influential for his glory, our joy and their salvation. Like the woman at the well, taste and see that the Lord is good and let's go proclaiming his goodness to the lost world around us. We're called to be influential.